Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Tonight we're beginning a brand new Bible study series. It's called The Life of Peter. I kind of put a subtitle on there from fisherman to follower of Jesus. The life of Peter. Um, I got something I want to read to you. You know, we know that Jesus chose 12 disciples who became apostles. We've mentioned this before. A disciple means a follower and a learner. An apostle means one who is sent. So they became followers and learners of Jesus, which in that culture meant that they attach, a, a disciple would attach themselves to a teacher and they'd say, I want to be with you. I want to learn everything you can teach me, but not just what you know, but who you are. Uh, I want to be just like you. And so that was the idea of disciple, but obviously as they grew, learned and everything, Jesus was going to send them out to make disciples, so he named them to be apostles, ones he would send out. And he did send them out. Even while he was still here, he sent them out for training. And then obviously after he left, they were out, but not on their own, because Jesus said he'd always be with them. But anyway, as Jesus chose the twelve disciples, the Bible makes it clear that he spent all night long praying about this, and of the many, 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 many followers he had, he chose 12 to be closest to him. And in that 12, he had three that were even closer, Peter, James, and John. But he chose these 12. Well, somebody humorously put up this thing saying, well, you know, what if Jesus would have had available to him a consulting service, you know, that he could run these potential employees through to see how well they would do for his business? And I came across this a couple years ago. I thought this was funny, and it has a point to it. I'm not going to read it just because it's funny. So let me read this to you. It's called An Assessment of the Apostles by Jordan Management Consultants in a Letter to Jesus. Jesus, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests, and we have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. It is the staff's opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you're undertaking. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew does not have qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, sons of Zebedee, they place personal interests above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel it our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and particularly Simon the Zealot, have radical leanings, and they both have registered a high score on the manic-depressive scale." Thaddeus is definitely sensitive, but he wants to make everybody happy. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness. He meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All of the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you success in your new venture, the Jordan Management Consultants. Anyway, humorous. Mm, pretty much truthful in the examination of the characters, personalities of the disciples. Um, but other than just being humorous, what can we learn from this letter? 
and what actually took place with the disciples Jesus chose. Chris. With man, some things are impossible. With God, all things are possible. Any other lessons we can learn from that? Yeah, Lori. Amen. God doesn't just look at the outward current. You didn't say current, but fits. Yeah, but he looks at our hearts and he looks at our potential. That's going to be one of the things that's going to be come out in our lesson tonight is the potential that Jesus saw in Peter. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So tonight we're beginning this study of the life of Peter. Um, just for a minute or two, what do we know about Peter? Throw out facts, whatever. What do you know about Peter? What? He could fish. Yes, he was a fisherman. All right, what else do we know about Peter? He's very good at sticking his foot in his mouth. And as I mentioned in kind of leading up to this last Wednesday and Sunday, he often said the wrong thing, but there were many times he said the right thing uh, with God's help. In fact, the, the main number one right thing he said, Jesus said, you didn't come up with that on your own. God gave it to you. That's right. Were you going to say something, Nora? Okay, he didn't have very much education. All right. Yeah, in Acts, it talks about... Um, Peter and John, before the Sanhedrin, said these uneducated men. It didn't mean they were stupid or they had no education. It meant that they did not have formal education in God's word. Yeah, Lori. Yeah, he was he was fearless, which is good sometimes. And other times, not quite so good. You know, we know him from walking on the water, right? And people kind of get down on him sometimes. Like he, well, he took his eyes off Jesus, began to see. But he was the only one that wanted to get out of the boat. You know, so... You know, they say our greatest strengths can be our greatest weaknesses. And that certainly is true for Peter, too. Yeah. All right. So he was a fisherman called by Jesus along with his brother, Andrew. Um, they were brothers, fishermen, but they also uh, worked together. The, the story seemed to indicate that they were in some kind of partnership or worked together with James and John, who were also fishermen. Um, it's not on your note sheet, but you can read about that in Matthew 4, verses 18 to 22. We'll be looking at that next week when we look at Jesus' call to Peter, and it was at the same time as his brother Andrew and James and John, and it was as they were uh, had finished a, a bout of fishing that Jesus called them, okay? Um, but as we approach the story tonight, um, and you may remember from Sunday, if you were here or listened or watched the uh, sermon online, Andrew had been a disciple of John the Baptist. No indication that Peter was. Okay, but Andrew had been a disciple of John the Baptist, and John the Baptist, of course, pointed people to Jesus. All right, and so Andrew was John's follower, and then as we pick up our story in John chapter 1, verses 35 to 42, we see that John points to Jesus, and Andrew begins to follow Jesus. So let's pick it up there. We're going to read John 1, 35 to 42. It says, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. Later, it says one of them was Andrew. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. For it is about the tenth Hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. 
you shall be called Cephas, which I found out that that's really supposed to be Cephas. It's the way you're supposed to pronounce it, but everybody says Cephas, okay? Which means Peter. So we're just looking at a couple of verses tonight that just really begin the story of Peter. This is the first place in the story of Jesus chronologically where Peter is mentioned. Now, keep in mind, Peter and Andrew have a family business fishing, okay? And they partner along with James and John. Andrew is spending a lot of time away from home following John the Baptist. And now he's got a new guy he's going to follow. Just speculate it. Just think a little bit. How do you think Peter felt about Andrew always taking off to go follow somebody? These dreams, which the Israelites had. The Messiah is going to come someday, whatever, whatever. But it seems to indicate that Peter is a hard-working fisherman. They fished all night long. They, it's a grueling, hard job, Okay. And him and his brother are supposed to be partners in this business, and his brother's always running off. How could Peter have potentially felt? Abandoned. That's a nice way to put the easiest way. <laughs> yeah. Which could have possibly, with knowing Peter's um, personality and temperament, probably could have ticked him off, right? Um, we don't want to add to the scripture, but just thinking how you mean it, they probably had words. All right? And... Remember, Andrew's been gone, we don't know how long, but he's been gone with John the Baptist, and then John talks about Jesus, so he goes to follow Jesus, so he's probably been gone for a couple of days at least, maybe longer, and now he shows up and says, hey, Peter, we found the Messiah. We don't know for sure what Peter's initial response was. He did end up going with Andrew to see Jesus. Maybe he was excited. Maybe he was reluctant. Maybe Andrew had to bribe. I don't know, <laughs> but Andrew got Peter to go with him. But Peter, um, I don't think, was very happy probably with Andrew's constantly running off. Well, the first part we're going to look at tonight is Andrew introduces Peter to Jesus. Andrew introduces Peter to Jesus. Um, it says that Andrew, after he had that encounter with Jesus, just really believed he was the Messiah. He's the one that all of Israel is waiting for. It says, he first found his own brother Simon, said to him, we found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. Um, here is probably the easiest question I'll ask all night, and I know what your answer is. Do you want your unsaved relatives and friends to come to know Christ? Amen. Yeah. But you know what? So many times we struggle, uh, or many people do. Some people find it very easy. Um, depends on your personality. But most people really struggle telling anybody about Christ. But sometimes it's even more of a struggle to tell family members or those who are closest to. Okay? Why is that? Why do we struggle in general? Why do we struggle especially telling family members about Christ? Yeah, we don't want to be rejected. You know, if we can get up enough gumption to share it with a stranger or somebody we're not real close to, it's like, well, if they reject me, at least I'm not real close to them. Uh, I may not ever see them again or, or whatever. But a family member, if we share something with them and they really turn, you know, whatever about it, it's like, what's that going to do to my relationship? Lori? You don't have to see strangers at Christmas and birthdays. Yeah. Yeah. Chris? 
You had your hand up. Did you have something else to add? Yeah, when Jesus went back to Nazareth to minister in the synagogue. Up to that point, he'd been having tremendous success, uh, great things happening, healing people, people responding, wowed by his teaching. But he goes back home to his home synagogue where he grew up. They invite him to speak, and basically the attitude is, who does he think he is? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I think sometimes we make sharing about Jesus or introducing people to Jesus more complicated than it needs to be. You know, sometimes we kind of get the idea, well, I need to have a whole lot more knowledge. I need this. I need that. Um, you know, there's no need for any formal theological training. I mean, we really should be growing in God's word, learning more and more. And certainly the more we know about the truths of Scripture, the handier that is, the better that is, the more authority we have to at least share what God says about it. But it's interesting that the people um, that were most effective at sharing Jesus or introducing people to Jesus from the very beginning were the people that knew the least. You know, like Lori said, you know, um, uneducated. Was it you that said that or somebody else said that? Somebody said that, you know. But again, they weren't stupid, um, but they didn't have near as much education as everybody else, as, as a lot of other people did, all right? Um, um, but they were tremendously effective witnesses, and some of the most effective witnesses had just met Jesus for themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, when we first get saved, for many people, maybe not all, you know, some people are not really excitable or whatever. They're just, I'm saved, I'm so thankful, you know, whatever. But a lot of people get excited and, and energetic and, and passionate about sharing their faith. And, you know, it's still true today of surveys that are done. It says that people uh, are much more likely to share their faith closer to when they were saved themselves than later on. It seems like as you grow and you mature, not that that's an, an aspect of maturity that you don't share your faith. That should be just the opposite. But people become more reserved. Of course, part of that is because um, Christians often have the tendency to separate themselves from and sometimes that's healthy. There are some people you may need to separate yourself from. You don't want to be pulled back into sin. But uh, many times Christians gravitate to other Christians and they go to church, which they should, and they have that fellowship and all that kind of stuff, but then they begin to not spend time with non-Christians. And so there's less opportunity, less connection, um, and that kind of thing. So, But in this story here, we see Andrew. Um, he had just been introduced to Jesus himself. And he turns around and introduces his brother, Peter to Jesus. Just two simple um, steps that he took here. Now, something I did not even realize until today when I was putting my notes together and I was reading some commentaries and somebody noticed it. This is the first person we have recorded in Scripture that shared Jesus with somebody one-on-one. You know? First personal evangelist. I mean, John pointed people to Jesus, but that was a public thing, whatever. But this is the first one had an encounter with Jesus, and one-on-one went to tell somebody else. The first thing, letter A there, Andrew sought Peter. He said he first found his own brother. It doesn't say he went to him. That's true. But it says he found him. It seems to indicate that he had to go looking for him. You know, he had to go looking for him. Um, Don't mean he searched forever because Peter hid himself or whatever, but wherever Andrew was, he had to go find Peter. So he sought Peter. Now, when it says here he, he first 
found his own brother, Simon. Why do you think that word first is there? What is it trying to indicate? He went to his family first. Okay. What else would the word first indicate? That what? That he did more after that. That's a good thought. I hadn't thought about that. That he, and I'm sure he did. I mean, when they were with Jesus, he sent them out. So obviously they did. But, but yeah, that he, he did more after that. First also is a sign of priority. This is important. It seems to indicate that as soon as Andrew had that experience with Jesus and there was that time that he needed to step away, the first thing he wanted to do, the first priority he had was, I've got to tell my brother. It wasn't, I've been away from home for a while, I want to go back home. I've been off, I need to go get a good meal. You know, It was, I've got to tell my brother. This is a priority. And notice who he wanted to tell. His brother. This should tell us something about, I think, who we should reach out to for Christ. You know, sometimes we, and I mentioned this on Sunday, you know, we kind of get the idea whether we come up on our own, we hear somebody preach, teach, whatever, but, you know, as you're going out there in the world and you meet strangers, you need to tell them about Jesus or whatever, this, that, and the other. And as I said on Sunday, God does that. And we need to be open to that. We need to be open to any encounter that God orchestrates that we have the opportunity to share our faith. And he opens that door. Total strangers, people we don't know very well. But I really believe with all my heart, the main people that God really wants us to focus on, because we already have relationship with them, are the people we already have relationship with, which is often family or close friends. I like this quote. It says, don't ask where are the lost people. But where are the lost people I can reach? Where are the lost people I already know? Friends, relatives, acquaintances, as we go through life and make new ones. Now, we talked about what makes it a little bit harder to reach out to and to share Jesus with people that we know real well. You know, the fear of rejection and all that kind of stuff. But what could make it easier to share Jesus with people that we know well? Huh? Okay, you can be intentional in our in relationship, and it would be expected that if you've got something good to share, you're going to share it with your family. You're going to share it with your friends. Okay, what else would make it easier to reach out to people that we know, or to share the gospel, or to introduce them to Jesus? Norris. So you're already in relationship. You're already in conversation, and as you're having these conversations. If you're in family, you live with, you know, or you get together with at Christmas and birthdays and all that kinds of, and conversations come up, you know, and you know them, you know their interests, you know their needs, you know their hurts sometimes. And so the conversation comes up and it's easy to take something in that conversation and say, see how that relates to Jesus because you know them, you know, whereas if it's a total stranger or whether it's more like just, hey, I got some facts I want to share with you. Chris. That's right. It's a good point is we're wanting to share the gospel. We need to love the people we want to share the gospel with. And that can be true of a stranger. God can help. But they don't know that. They may not sense that. You know, if we tell them it's true, they may think we're weird. What, you don't even know me. You say you love me. But our family should know that we love them. And hopefully Jesus is, like you said, Jesus through us is loving them in spite of maybe all the things that frustrate us or the fact of their lifestyle and they're not Christians or whatever. And that provides a great foundation 
for us to share the truth and say, well, you know, there's going to be something too because they love me in spite of the fact that I give them a hard time because I do this, whatever. Amanda, did you have your hand up? Yeah, they've seen the change in your life. That's why many times I pray, Lord, do something in us that people will see us. I want what they have. And our families know us. They knew how we were growing up or our friends, whatever, you know, and especially if they knew us before Christ and after Christ, if we are growing like we should be, they're seeing changes. They're seeing differences. So those are all things that make it a little bit easier to reach out to people. Yeah, Bruce. Yeah, that's true. We need to be intentional, but not forceful. Yeah. You, sometimes we forget. And we're going to see this in, in, in Andrew. Did Andrew go home and preach to Peter or try to prove to him in Scripture? Now, there could have been some discussion. What did he, he brought him to Jesus. That's all we're supposed to do. We're supposed to bring people to Jesus, point people to Jesus. That will involve conversations. That will involve, um, if they're open to it, discussion of questions and all that kind of stuff. Okay, but it's not forcing it down their throat. You know, you try to force it down their throat, you're going to drive them away. Yeah. Norris. Mm-hmm. They probably grew up talking about the Messiah. Yeah. <laughs> and that leads to the next point. Andrew sought Peter. Letter B, Andrew brought Peter. He brought him. He sought him and he brought him. And the next question I was going to ask, and you gave one answer, why do you think Peter came with Andrew to meet Jesus. Well, they were probably both interested in the Messiah. All the, the Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah. They probably had conversations about it. You know, can't wait till the Messiah shows up and gets rid of Rome, you know, and makes life easier and, and establishes God's kingdom, which is all things that the Messiah was supposed to do. And, and you mentioned the excitement in Andrew. You know, even though Peter may have been ticked off, where have you been? I've been out on the boat by myself for the last week. You know, Andrew's excitement. Can you think of any other reason why um, Peter might have gone to with Andrew to um, check out Jesus? Look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Peter knows Andrew. Unless Andrew has a habit of getting excited about everything that comes down the road, you know, seeing that change in him, seeing that excitement is going to do so. But I think part of it, too, is that even though he might have been irritated with Andrew, he knows Andrew. He trusts Andrew, okay? I mean, unless Andrew's been a total idiot all his life, which is no indication of that, you know, he falls for anything. You know, it's like, hey, I trust my brother. There must be something to this. And the same thing is true as people look at our lives, hopefully, the ones that we have relationship with. And so that should cause us to ask, what do people see in us or know about us that would cause them to want to know Jesus based on our lives and what we say, especially our family. Yeah. So Andrew shares, we, we, we believe we found the Messiah. In fact, he doesn't even say we think we have. Um, it says, we have found the Messiah. As far as Andrew's concerned, he's the one, okay? Um, and so he's just sharing basic thoughts. And the same thing is true for us. We need to know how to just share the basic salvation message, all right? But we make it so much more complicated than it should be. And we feel like we need to know, memorize six scriptures word for word. Now, that's a great help. We should memorize the scriptures that are helpful. But, you know, Peter says that we should always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have, you know? Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. Now, that shouldn't be an excuse not to know scripture and not to know the biblical facts, um, but anyway, so Andrew brings Peter to Jesus, and he does that literally. 
<laughs> we don't do that literally. We bring them spiritually. And there's a number of ways that we can do that. Another thing that sometimes we can get the wrong idea, we may hear an evangelist or a preacher or somebody who's all excited about sharing the gospel and at least the way they present it seem like they never have too much trouble doing it and we're like, wow, I can't be, I, I don't, that, ooh, that just really, that, 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 that makes me nervous. I, I, I can't imagine myself doing that. And, and we do have to get over a certain amount of fear and all that kind of stuff. But when you look at scripture, you see there's a lot of different ways that people shared their faith. Um, there was a book that came out years ago. Maybe some of you have heard of it, maybe you've read it. It's called Becoming a Contagious Christian by Pastor Bill Hybels. And in that, there's one chapter where it talks about different ways people share their faith. And he uses examples from Scripture. And we've done a study on this before. I've used it in, in evangelism, Bible studies and stuff. So we're not going to dig deeply, but let's, let's just look at this. Once Peter comes to know Jesus, Peter has kind of a confrontational approach. I don't mean, I don't mean um, in a negative way. But Peter just tells you he's direct, he's bold, he's challenging, okay? Then you have the Apostle Paul. Now, he was bold too, but his is more intellectual. He had been trained in the Scriptures, and he would be logical, he would reason, he would debate, okay? Then you have somebody who had no, no education at all, the blind man. I think it's John chapter 9. How is his way of sharing Jesus? <laughs> I don't know much about him, but I used to be blind. I'm not blind no more. Okay, just the testimony, you know? I mean, I could picture Bruce doing all these things. Man, I had cancer and God healed me. <laughs> but he's got the scripture knowledge and all that kind of stuff too. You know? Then you got Matthew, the tax collector. He gets saved. What does he do? He invites all his tax collector sinner fan, uh, uh, friends over for a party and makes sure Jesus is invited too. Okay, so that, that, that personal, interpersonal friendship relationship approach. Then you have the Samaritan woman's approach. We talked about that on Sunday, where she just invites everybody, which is what Andrew's doing, so the invitational approach. And then you have this lady that's not real well known in Acts, and her name is Dorcas. She did good deeds and served people and loved them. So just serving. And when she died, everybody said, she was such a wonderful lady. And the indication that because of her acts of service, many people came to know Christ. And then, of course, Peter, God, through Peter, raised her from the dead. So you got lots of different ways to share the gospel. You may not be somebody that you could ever imagine yourself getting up in front of a crowd or even in front of one person just kind of preaching at them or, 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 or debating or trying to defend your faith. But yet you may have a testimony or you just build relationships and say, hey, I want to introduce you to Jesus. You know, so there's different ways to do that. Okay. I want you to think about something. This is something else I hadn't thought much about. Andrew. We know about Andrew because he's one of the 12, okay? And we know him because of little stories like this where he says he brings Peter, and there's a couple other little things. We'll mention that a little bit later. But Andrew was Andrew's not one of the famous disciples, right? You got Peter, James, and John. Of the 12, they're the three closest to Jesus. I never thought about this before, but think about this. These four guys fished together. They were possibly raised together. They were probably best friends. Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Jesus chooses the 12, they're all four in that group, but when it's the inner three, Peter, James, and John, why is Andrew left out? I don't believe Jesus left him out. However it worked out that those were the inner three, it would have been so easy for Andrew to think, we've always been the four musketeers, why is it now only three? You know, why are they leaving me out? 
There's no indication that there's any kind of anything like that, or at least didn't last. Andrew is a very humble person. Every time, I think, every time Andrew is mentioned in Scripture, except for the lists, but even in then, he's always referred to as Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Everybody knows Peter! So, Andrew, who's he? Oh, he's Peter's brother. All right. I don't know if you ever had that situation, you know, growing up or whatever. You're always introduced as, you, you did, Sean. You're always somebody else's brother, sister, brother, whatever, you know. There you go. Yeah. But you know what? He seemed to be fine with that. He seemed to be fine with that. And not only that, but he loved bringing people to Jesus. He brought Peter to Jesus. You know, you can read it later, but in John chapter 6, it's mentioned specifically, he's the one that brought the little boy with the lunch to Jesus. Okay, And then in John chapter 12, he's the one that's mentioned that, hey, there's some Greek people here that want to know about Jesus. I came across them. I'm taking them to Jesus, and he brings them to Jesus. So even though he's not real well-known or whatever, he's a great example for all of us. And it makes me think of a story that I've referred to before. In fact, it wasn't too many weeks ago, and um, I actually looked it up so I could read it to you. A man by the name of Ezra Kimball. Okay, and uh, because I've told the story a couple times, maybe you you do know who he is, or you've heard about it some other some other way. But it says years ago, and this is a true story, by the way. Years ago, there was a man named Ezra Kimball who taught a Sunday school class of boys. In that class was a young shoe clerk, uneducated and undistinguished, who Kimball won to Christ. This shoe clerk was D. L. Moody. He became a great evangelist, and one night he preached to an audience that included a cold, indifferent pastor of a small church. In that service, F.B. Meyer caught the passion of God and Jesus Christ, um, caught the passion of God and Jesus Christ, made evident in Moody's words, and became a changed man. On one occasion, Meyer spoke to a group of college students, and his message touched the heart of a man by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman, who gave his life to Christ. Chapman went to work for the YMCA and called to his staff an ex-baseball player named Billy Sunday with a heart for God and a desire to proclaim his word. Chapman set up crusades for Billy Sunday, who became an evangelist, and Sunday preached the gospel all over the world. One such crusade was scheduled in Charlotte, North Carolina, North Carolina the home of, a, of an aspiring baseball player named Billy Graham. But Graham would never become famous for baseball. He would hear the words of Billy Sunday and turn his life over to Jesus Christ. All that traces back to some man by the name of Ezra Kimball who taught a Sunday school class for little boys, or boys, probably teenage boys. And D.L. Moody happened to be in there. And he was nobody special. But God got a hold of him and then the chain reaction. And so, you know, we don't have to be somebody famous or super-duper smart or outgoing or whatever for God to use us. And there's no telling if Jesus tarries how down the line who might be affected just because we try to be the best witness we could be in our world. All right, well, we need to go on to the second half, which is shorter, which is good because we don't have as much time. But second part, Jesus introduces Peter to his future. Jesus introduces Peter to his future. Peter, Peter doesn't even have a speaking part in this, pass, in this uh, story, but that's okay. So we get to verse 42. It says, Andrew brought... Peter to Jesus. Jesus looked at him. That word for look doesn't mean he just kind of glanced. It means he, he paid attention. He was focused, okay? Um, it says, Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, or Cephas, which means Peter, all right? So he says, you are Simon. The name Simon means a listener or a hearer. 
which can have a positive connotation. But it can also have a negative connotation. It can have the connotation of somebody who's constantly listening to what's going on around him and um, perhaps with the connotation of being swayed by people's opinions and attitudes. Do we see any evidence of Peter being swayed by people's opinions and attitudes? Probably depending on what kind of mood he was in, right? I mean, he was very bold and everything, but what about at the fire the night Jesus was arrested? Yeah, probably vacillating back and forth. You know, um, you may or may not know this, but Simon is the Greek version of the Old Testament Hebrew name Simeon. Simeon was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And Simeon um, was impulsive and unstable. And we find that that's kind of the way Peter was, too. He's kind of lived up to his namesake. Simeon was one of the two brothers, the other one being Levi, who very violently put a whole town of people to death because their prince had raped their sister. I mean, not that justice isn't warranted, but to put a whole town to death because of one of their leaders. And it was very violent and that kind of stuff. And it seems that Peter may have picked up, not the violence maybe, but picked up some of the personality and whatever of his namesake. Okay? Um, But we see that uh, Peter, and we can't really fault him for that. I mean, how many times have we been really influenced by the people around us? It's something we all have to fight. Okay? So he says, you are Simon... He says, this is what you are. This is what you've been. Letter B. But you will be Cephas or Cephas, which is the same thing as Peter, and that means a rock. A rock. An, immov- an immovable foundation upon which others will depend and build. A steadying influence. A strong, dependable, secure person. So someone who's a hearer, a listener, maybe with a connotation of what's, you know, what's going on in the wind, kind of being influenced that to somebody who stands steady. So as we read the story of Jesus, overnight, G, uh, Peter changed, right? No. It was a process. As we said at the very beginning, and we're going to see as we go through his life, it's kind of back and forth. He, he's not afraid to speak out, and sometimes it's good. Many times it's not. He's not afraid to step out. Sometimes it's for the right thing. Sometimes it's for the wrong thing, you know, or in the wrong way. And so there's times he's unstable. He's whatever. But he's going to grow and he's going to change. Okay? Um, you know, we see that Jesus changes Peter's name. And there's a tradition of that in Scripture. You know, there's several times in Scripture we see where God changes someone's name because of a change in their relationship with him, usually because it indicates a special calling. Can you think of some examples of people that God changed their name? God changed Abram's name from Abram to Abraham. Okay, Jacob, he changed his name from Jacob to Israel. And we're not going to dig into what those mean and stuff because we don't have the time, but each of those have special meaning. And there's other places where names were changed. Okay, um, I like what the pillar commentary says about this. It says, this is not so much a merely predictive utterance as a declaration of what Jesus will make of him. In other words, it's saying Jesus isn't just predicting that he's going to become a rock of a person. But he is declaring what he's going to do in him. The last thing on your note sheet is this. We've got a little bit more to cover, but this last thing on your note sheet. Jesus makes people what he calls them to be. I read that and I thought, that's powerful. Jesus makes us what he calls us to be. Okay? When do we really begin to see the fulfillment of this? Jesus being the rock. We see little bits and pieces 
you know, like we said, when he stepped out of the boat, yes, he took his eyes off Jesus and sank. That's the flightiness part. But the stepping out is the bold part, the rock part. But where do, you, where do we really see um, the stability start coming in um, in Peter's life? Yeah, after his denial and he was reconciled to Jesus, that's the last chapter of John. Jesus met with him and said, hey, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yeah, I do. And then Jesus asked him three times. We know why I asked him three times, <laughs> because Peter denied him three times. But then, you know, Jesus forgave him and, 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 and set him forth. But I think the real change came on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and that's a whole other topic. But why the presence and power of the Holy Spirit is so important in our lives, not only for us to grow and mature and develop and change, but to be that witness. Jesus said, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit so you can be a witness. Okay, And that's not just being able to speak, but to live a life that is a testimony to Jesus. Okay, And then as we, I mean, this is going to be down the road. We're going to be spending maybe three months just talking about Peter's life leading up to Pentecost. But then after Pentecost, we see he's the, he's the leader of the church for a number of years. And then he starts traveling, so James takes over as leader of the church. Not James of James and John, because he's been put to death, but... James as in Jesus' half-brother, okay? But Peter is the leader of the church, and God uses Peter on the day of Pentecost to establish the early church. And even though Paul was the one God called to really reach out to the Gentiles, Peter was the first one to actually speak to the Gentiles, in in Scripture anyway, when he went to Cornelius' house. So he used him to open the door to the Gentiles to come into the church and, um, of course, he was a martyr and all that kind of stuff. And, and Jesus uh, talked about how he was going to be a foundation stone. And, and Paul talked about how Jesus is the cornerstone, but the apostles and prophets are the foundation stones of the church. And, of course, that included all the disciples. And, and Peter was, was one of the, the main ones there. Okay? All right. Now, uh, to wrap up that particular thought, you know, Jesus makes people what he calls them to be. He was not just predicting Peter would be a rock, but he was telling him what he was going to do in him. Did Peter have a choice about that? Did he have anything to do with that? Yeah, he did. You know, God works in our lives, but he does it as we cooperate with him. He can force us to do anything, but most often he doesn't. And so what that tells us is that God's got a plan for us, probably a lot better and bigger than we would ever dream. But the fullness of it is only going to come about as we cooperate with him. So we want to do that. Okay. All right. Well, as we continue on in Peter's story, um, he didn't stay with Jesus at this time. This is just kind of an introduction. He went back home. Next week, we're going to talk about when Jesus actually called him. He's back fishing. Um, and um, But it does illustrate the fact that people come to Jesus in stages. Okay? And so w- keep that in mind when you're sharing Jesus with other people. There may be people that come to know Jesus and surrender their life to him is the very first time you share with them. You may talk to people for years at being a part of your conversations and stuff before they make a decision. Just don't give up. And don't feel like you've been a failure. You're just a delivery man. I've used this illustration before. If, if FedEx comes by your house to drop off a package and you refuse it, is it his fault? No. You've got to accept it. You know. And the same thing is true as sharing the application. So as we wrap this all up, here's some thoughts I had as far as how we can apply this to our lives. And the first one is, I know pretty much every one of you in here, but you know, do we have a relationship with Jesus? Have we met Jesus? Do we know him? All right. But the second one, and this may be the main thing you need to hear, be encouraged. Jesus knows you, loves you anyway. (laughs) It's true for all of us. And he will mold you into what he has called you to be. 
You know, Paul put it this way, I believe that God will bring to completion what he started in you. I think that's in Philippians. I didn't look it up. I should have looked it up. Uh, Here's a quote from the Daily Study Bible Commentary. The great thing about this story is that it tells us how Jesus looks at us. He does not only see what we are, he also sees what we can become. He sees not only the actualities in us, he sees the possibilities. Jesus sees us not only as we are, but as we can be. And he says, give your life to me and I will make you what you have it in you to be. Yeah, Norris. Yeah, Gideon. A young man scared to death, winnowing, uh, winnowing wheat or some kind of grain in the wine press in the middle of the night. You know, and the angel says, mighty man of God. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. He did turn out to be mighty because God did that in him and through him. Yeah. Another question to ask is, am I a fisher of men? You know, do I share Christ with others? Um, who do I already know that needs to meet Christ? And what can I do to intentionally reach out to them? And, um, and then just like we see that Jesus changed Peter, he cooperated. How does Jesus, how do we need Jesus to change us? We're all works in process. I'm a lot farther along than I used to be, but I, there's still stuff I need God to do in me. And, uh, but he will, he can. He can take us, change us, and use us in ways far beyond our ability to imagine. So next week, we're going to pick up the story of Peter looking where he follows Jesus's call. And um, we'll dig into that next week. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we've had tonight to begin this study of Peter's life. And Father, it spoke to us on a couple of different levels. I just pray you'd Bring home to us through your Holy Spirit how we need to apply this to our lives, Lord God, about allowing you to change us and mold us and shape us and cooperating with you, Lord God, becoming all that you've created us and called us to be, about being witnesses, Lord God, being willing to to have conversations, to love on people, to share uh, Jesus with others, and uh, just help us to be faithful, to live out your word. We give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.